Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Stuart Ralph. He is the creator of the OCD Stories. I love that podcast, and it was very cool to turn the microphone around on him and hear his story and his takeaways from all the amazing people that he has interviewed over the last, let's see, he started in 2015, so quite a few years. So um, we're going to get into that. Before we get into it, I'd just like to give you an update on what is going on in the AT parenting survival world. I am actually doing a live interactive workshop with, I have teamed up with Dr. Allison Solomon. Um, I'm a big fan of hers. I feel like she's one of the best anxiety and OCD therapists there is out there. She has lived in my neck of the woods. And so we have worked together in the past because she is, she has lived in Arizona and I love that we're teaming up together to provide an in-person interactive workshop. And we're going to be doing two workshops in one day. And so we're going to be doing a workshop just for kids. And we have decided that we're going to do a workshop for kids between the ages of nine and 12, because it is really too hard with just the two of us to be able to reach every different age range because we approach different age ranges in a different way. And so nine to 12 is um, a good age for us to target with the approaches that we want to do in the workshop. And we are going to also do an interactive workshop later that day for just parents of kids raising anxiety and OCD of any age. So um, there are two different workshops. People can join both of them or they can just join one of them. We are going to have very limited seating because it's not virtual. So in virtual reality, we can have as many people can come to my webinars or join my classes as anyone wants, but it's kind of weird to move into like a, an actual workshop where there are these limitations. There are only so many seats. There's only so much that we can offer um, because we don't, we're not doing a stadium seating. So for the kids, it's going to be, um, we want to really cap it at a pretty small group so that we can really interact with the kids and give them the attention they deserve. And the parent group, we don't want it to be so massive that you don't get an opportunity to really interact and learn from it. So the interactive workshop is going to be doing um, exercises and really like getting out of your seat. The kids will be doing a lot of hands-on things um, so that it is experiential learning. I really don't like boring workshops. I think I've been to way too many myself. And Dr. Solomon is the same way. She's super creative. And we both had the same vision when we wanted to create this workshop, that it would be fun and interactive and engaging. So with all that said, if you live in Arizona or nearby states and you want to travel, you can get on the wait list to hear about the registration. The registration is going to open within the next few days, um, possibly even today. But I'm going to be emailing the waitlist first so that they get first access since they've been put on the waitlist. So they'll know about it probably about 24 hours before anybody else does. And so they get first dibs. So if you're in the area and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to go, I would love to meet Natasha. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, or learn from some, some really good approaches, then join us. I would love to meet you actually. I would love to meet your kids. 
So you can get on the wait list by going to bit.ly, that's B-I-T-L-Y dot com slash Phoenix Workshop 2020, all one word, lowercase. So check that out at bit.ly.com slash Phoenix Workshop 2020, or I always like to give you guys a text version because I get it that a lot of people are on their phone listening to this and not at their computer. So if you want to text me at 44222, just put in one word, AT Workshop, that's AT Workshop, no space, and then it'll prompt you to give your email and then I will put your email on the list and you'll get notified probably pretty shortly because I am just finishing up the last touches of getting the registration page up and running so that people can join. It is going to be on January 2nd. So there's not a lot of time for you to decide whether you want to come with us or not, because we're going to have to stop opening the doors to registration. Um, probably like a few days or maybe even a week before the workshop begins. So I hope to see you there. And if you know anyone else who's in the area that could benefit, you can feel free to share that with them as well. Okay. Well, I want to introduce uh, Stuart Ralph. I loved talking to him. It was really interesting to hear his perspective on the work that he does and the work that he's going to be doing. He is a gift to the OCD community. You can always check out his podcast, The OCD Stories, and check out his website, theocdstories.com. We also talk about uh, the camp that he's doing. He's doing a lot of great things, and I think he's going to continue to do even bigger things as he progresses. So without further ado, here is my interview with Stuart Ralph. All right. Well, I want to welcome Stu from the OCD Stories. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, I love your podcast. I have listened to it for a really long time, and I know a lot of the parents that I work with have listen to it because they share your episodes all the time. So I think it'd be really cool to flip the microphone and interview you. You know, you've spent so much time interviewing other people to hear more about um, kind of the inside scoop on what got you started. So I'm wondering if we can begin kind of like you start with your guests, talking a little bit just about your own story, and then we can move into what prompted you to start the OCD stories. Yeah, well, thank you for the kind words and for listening and and to the parents that listen as well. Um, So yeah, so my story, my earliest memory was when I was uh, seven um, and it was in America. Uh, It was in, we went to a family trip to Florida. Is it Disneyland or Disney World? I always get the two mixed up. Yeah, well. Yeah, I always get corrected whenever I'm an American, I tell this story. Um, But it's, it was like the, the, stereotypical English thing. If you're going to go to America 25 odd years ago, it was to Florida and it was to Disney World. Um, Yeah, we got there and I remember my dad was was sick. And looking back, I think it was just kind of bad plane food and uh, jet lag. But he had to go to the motel to sleep it off. So my mum, my brother and myself went to, I think it was a Denny's or a Wendy's, one of the two, uh, just for something to eat because we were all tired. And then I, I remember just suddenly feeling very anxious at the time. You know, being a seven-year-old, I didn't have a word for the feeling I was going through, but heavily anxious, uh, lots of thoughts coming into my head. And the thoughts were repetitive images of um, this tarantula kind of moving towards my dad while he was sleeping in the motel. Um, and the fear was that he was going to get bitten, he was going to die. 
and then I I was kind of seeing these images as like a premonition. So almost like I was seeing the future. So there was starting to be the guilt of, right, if I don't say something now uh, and we go back and find my dad and he's dead, I'd never live with myself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I never said anything to my mum, and I don't know why to this day. I, maybe it was shame. Maybe there was part of me that thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but we got back. He was fine, obviously. And, uh, and then the next kind of thing on the same trip was around sharks. So uh, we're in the swimming pool, clear swimming pool water. Um, I would swim from one kind of one corner to the other. So like two meters in, jump out, get as far away from the water as I could. Because uh, as soon as I was in, the thought was there was going to be a shark. It was going to eat me, kill me. Even though I could see, there was clearly nothing there. Uh, and then the, the couple of times my brother dragged me in the water. He was older than me, stronger than me. And I'd almost have a panic attack because in my head, you know, the world was was ending. But um, so that, that was kind of the earliest memories. And then as I got older, it kind of morphed into a lot of not quite right, uh, a lot of walking back and forth over door frames past old paintings old uh, ornaments uh until yeah it, it, until it felt right it's the easiest way to say it but the fear was that if i didn't walk past it right i would be stuck in this kind of parallel dimension it, it still sounds weird to me when i talk about it now but it felt really off and really wrong where i was and i had to keep going back and forth until it felt right so if i didn't do that i still would have been with my family and in the world but it would have been kind of like interstellar where you see all these different dimensions. It, it was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of harm based stuff, uh, various counting tapping as the compulsions to kind of calm that down. Uh, and then, then I went to, uh, see a doctor when I was 16. Um, they referred me to the psychiatric services here. Uh, I had a couple of assessments and then I was told at the time that it wasn't severe enough. <laughs> and, uh, I should come back, you know, when, when it's worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they recommended me some self-help books, which I'm not against because some people that can really help them. But like me as a 16 year old, then uh, I didn't read anything. So trying to get me to read was, was not going to happen. Uh, and anyway, so I kind of struggled for another 10 years and then, and then I went privately and that was kind of my therapy journey. But between that 16 year old me and the sort of 27 year old me, um, still a lot of harm based OCD. Uh, we could call it real event or false memory OCD. So that, that type of stuff came in and then a lot of relationship OCD all the way. Yeah. From, from whenever I was 16 or 18, when I first kind of got in to my first relationship to 27, uh, to the point where, where it took me, took me several attempts to finally propose to my now wife, uh, cause every time OCD just got in the way and I couldn't do it. Um, which included a trip to Scotland where I just couldn't do it, uh, a trip to France where uh, I just I forgot the ring as well. So it's, it was <laughs> one thing after another. Um, and, and yeah, several times I tried breaking it off with her. Uh, luckily, it kind of stuck and, and got through it. But um, yeah, and then it, it still affects me from time to time now, but it's a lot more kind of under control. Yeah. And it's so interesting how, you know, it started at seven because I just feel like I hear a lot from lots of different people in different countries and even in America, for sure, that, you know, they're too young to diagnose or it's not severe or kids like little kids can't have it. 
And it's so, to me, it's so sad. And even like in the DSM, the onset criteria is so high to me. And it's mm. not what anecdotally I see in my practice. I see it really young. I just think we don't have an eye for it. It's just getting missed. That early deten- detection piece is so absent. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think it's a lot better now. Uh, like I'm I'm now training as a child and adolescent psychotherapist, and you know the 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 parents we work with they they notice stuff. They know that their their kids could do with some some interventions, some help. Um, but yeah, you know, back when I was seven, mental health wasn't talked about. The idea of a therapist or a psychologist wasn't something people used in their day-to-day lives unless you were kind of I guess the image was like a straight jacket you know that's at least mm-hmm. in my country or at least how I perceived mental health back then um whereas now we know that's not the case and uh, it's, it's far broader but yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I I don't know I mean I only know my own personal experience but my my daughter is half British you know so her her whole family is in England and I know in the early days when I'd go over there and visit I did feel like there was a stigma still because they'd be like, well, what do you do? You know, and I was like, well, I'm a therapist. Oh, (laughs) and the image that they had, this was, you know, 16 years ago, but the image of what that meant was um, kind of insulting. (laughs) It was like, it was so inaccurate, but we we have that in America as well. Um, I think maybe not to the level, but I think, I feel like globally it's changing, which is really uplifting and hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think here, uh, if I say I'm a therapist, but the thing I've noticed is people go to physiotherapists, yeah. or, you know, they, they don't think psychotherapist. And I think part of them wants to say it, but they, they kind of hesitate and go physio as if there's even <laughs> shame to say. Yeah, yeah. They're like, let's just stay in the physical. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's funny. You had that shark thing. I had that too, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, swimming was like a nightmare because I like intellectually, I knew there were no sharks in the pool, but, and I like to swim, but when I'd get into that deep end, like I would just like have a panic attack because I was pretty convinced that sharks were going to come out. And it's just, it's funny. You don't think that that's a, a common fear, but I see it a lot in my practice too, with kids mm-hmm. afraid of sharks. So. Early yes. You're, yeah. You're like the third person I've spoken to now. So. I think it's because yeah. it's quite a weird one. No one wants to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, even, yeah. I mean, I'm sure like at seven, even you knew, and I know I knew, I didn't mention it to a soul. Like it was, I didn't even start talking about my anxiety issues until I was in my 40s, like pretty recently, you know, but I didn't tell anyone because I knew that was irrational. And I think that's the worst part is when you know it's irrational, but you're still scared and the fear is still just as extreme. And so, you know, to keep quiet, which is unfortunate because then like you didn't tell your mom, I didn't tell mm. my, I didn't ever tell my parents anything. And then it's, it's fostering more communication with our, with our kids. So they don't have to hold back. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's, it's dialogue, right? Yeah. Having that open conversation. Yeah. I know like, so all three of my kids have anxiety and OCD, you know, just cause it's just genetically rampant mm. and hopefully your kids won't have it if you have any <laughs> kids, <laughs> but if not, you'll be well-equipped and it's, it's not a death sentence because I think knowing about it, just being proactive, is just part of our lifestyle here. But I know with my son in particular, who's 10 now, it's taken me quite a few years to get him to tell me these intrusive thoughts because there's so much stigma. I think even more so for a boy mm-hmm. than for my two girls. And even now, like he's just starting to, he'll like want to go sit out in the patio and he'll come right back and he's like, 
uh, does anyone else want to go out on the patio with me? You know, be night. And he really likes to like breathe the fresh air. And I'll be like, just go sit outside. It's fine. And he's like, do you, do you want to go sit with me? And I'm like, are you having a squishy problem? You know, that's what we call his OCD. And he's like, well, mom, I think there might be like a killer clown out there. So I know that's irrational, but can you come with me? And so he would never admit that in the past, you know, because that sounds ridiculous. But yeah. I think parents can work on it, which is, which is really uplifting. Absolutely. And I can completely relate to his fear as well. Not, not the clown part, but the kind of the killer that's hiding sort of. Oh yeah. yeah. We have many hidden killers in our house all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I get it because that was me too. I mean, I lived in hyper arousal my entire childhood. And then it didn't help that we actually had a break in in the middle of the night where I was awake. So I never tell my kids about that because I'm like, that's not going to really help their anxiety. But that, that just probably was the icing on the cake for me with, with a reality trauma. So, so let's talk about what made you go from your own experiences to creating the OCD stories. Yeah. uh, I thought about this many times over the years trying to, and I always go to, um, as part of my recovery, I just wanted to do something. I wanted to kind of, kind of like an acceptance commitment therapy to talk about values and living by your values. And, um, and then the, the kind of other side of that is, is trying to live a meaningful life. And I think I read Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning quite early on. And so I had that stuck in my head. Uh, and I kind of, I, I kind of had the thought, I remember I was sitting on the edge of my bed where I was flooding with anxiety at the time it was heavily around relationships and, and I just thought, if I'm going to suffer, then I might as well make someone else's life better because of my suffering. Uh, it sounds quite grand, but at the time on the bed, it was just, there's no other joy right now. So I might as well try and find some in this, in serving others. And uh, originally it started off with the, uh, well, I was, I was fleshing it out over the following week. And unfortunately, I had jewelry duty that week. So I was... I say unfortunately, but it also gave me the time to really think about this idea. Um, and I was like, well, I've enjoyed reading people's written stories um, all over the internet and they were kind of scattered about. Um, but also a lot of them focused on just the tough bits, which are important to have in the story. But for me, it was like, I don't want people to just read the the tough bits. I want them to read the tough bits and the, the determination in those tough bits, the insight, the, you know, the, the recovery points as well. Um, so I was like, right, let me create a website where people can post their stories, their recovery-focused stories. Uh, and so we started there. The first three months was that. And then I was like, right, I want to do a podcast. This was in December 2015. And, and it wasn't ever to be anything big or to reach a lot of people. It was just... I want to interview therapists and other people with OCD because I enjoy having those conversations. Um, and if it helps one or two people, then that's great. You know, so it's kind of the selfish element of I get to learn and then hopefully it helps other people. Uh, and it's, it's reached a few more than a two people now. So I'm happy Quite with that. a few more. Yeah. You're <laughs> being modest. I think it's, um, it is really the go-to podcast and resource for people to feel hope and, um, yeah. And I, and I think stories are so good. And I love that you have a positive spin because I think we really can frame mental health in a negative or a positive way. And you never listen to your podcast and feel, and feel down afterwards, you know, or feel like, wow, that was really heavy and depressing. There's, there's an uplifting element to it. It's also 
super educational. I mean, you have amazing people that you've interviewed. Edna Foa. I mean, that's like my, that's wildly impressive. (laughs) So you, you're like the Barbara Walters of OCD. You know, you, I don't know if you know who she is. (laughs) Same hairstyle. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's, it's um, educational, but also really inspiring and helpful and a great tool for parents so that they don't get bogged down in the what ifs and the um, catastrophic catastrophic thinking of and where most parents go anyway, for sure. It's, it leaves a positive note. So, Thank you, right, so yeah. I want to get into, um, and I know this can be hard for you, so we'll see, but if you had to think of like some of your best interviews and you don't have to name who they were, but just like your biggest takeaways where you were interviewing someone, cause, um, there's just so much, I, I think you said even once that you like really your university was really like your podcast. I feel like I remember hearing you say that once and I thought, yeah, um, I feel like it's, it's very, um, it's like reading a really big book of OCD. Like you learn, there's a takeaway from every guest. I've never listened to any episode of yours and didn't have like an aha moment, even as, um, an OCD therapist myself and a mom and, you know, my own issues. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. There's always something, but I wonder for you, what were your like top takeaways from some of the guests that you've had? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't remember saying that, but I, I, whether I did or not, I agree with it. Um, <laughs> maybe you get it. It sounds smart. Maybe I said it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think for for me, like it's been, you know, I'm doing my masters now, but and that's wonderful, and it's teaching me an incredible amount. But on the topic of OCD, there's I don't think there's any masters out there that just focuses on OCD. Arguably, nor should there be, but. You know, the, the podcast has taught me a lot. And thankfully, anyone that wants to listen to all 201 now, um, they too can get that same master's level education, so to speak. Um, so yeah, in terms of, there's been so many wonderful guests, like the story episodes I do where I interview people with OCD or I've interviewed some parents. Um, those are always really touching. I always find they kind of move me. Um, I always feel quite uplifted after them. Um, and then I do a lot of clinician-based ones. So one of the earlier ones that really always, always stands out for me, and I, I get a bit of stick for this sometimes, it's just Reed Wilson's one. And because uh, Reed Wilson talks about, um, he says, the content of your worry is trash. Uh, and he, he's basically meaning with OCD, whether it's harm, contamination, religion, uh, relationships, et cetera, et cetera, it, that's not important. It's important to the sufferer, obviously, because that's the bit that's really torturing them and keeping them stuck. But in terms of treatment, it, it really doesn't matter. Like the, what matters is I always look at it as there's, there's OCD and then all these different themes are just masks that kind of go over the OCD. And one week it's harm, next week it's relationships, etc. Um, and it hasn't gone from relationship OCD to harm OCD to religious OCD. It's the same creature. It's just telling you a different story. Um, and I think that's what he's getting at when he says that. And, and for me, for my own kind of recovery, but I think in others, you know, having, trying to detach from the, the, the themes, uh, because the way I say it is when people stay in the themes, they're playing OCD's game. And we're never going to beat OCD at that game because it's, it's world-class, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the NBA champion of, uh, right. whereas when we're not, our, our, our sport is American football or cricket, for example. Um, 
So, so we need to change the game, and that is tackling the process, the OCD, and not the mask or the theme. Um, and 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 I as much, as easy as for me to say that now, I equally get how hard it is to try and ignore or let go of that theme or not focus on it as much because you know when you love your kid be having harmful thoughts about them it's incredibly hard not to pay attention to those thoughts mm-hmm. um but i think it's work i believe it's work we should be doing to try our best and it's not something we're going to let go overnight but kind of keep remembering it's about the process and ocd not the 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 mask or the theme yeah um, i wonder why you get pushback for that why do you think that it's- it's because it's, it's when people who are, I guess they're, they're in the, they're quite severe at the time. For example, I don't know this. I'm just assuming like they're really caught in the content of their, their thoughts as Reed would say. Um, so it does feel like unbelievably important. Um, so I think that's why it's those people that usually have commented on YouTube or wherever else. And I understand, like I get it and I don't push back on it. Yeah. Um, but I think I know it's the people that, I can't say this entirely, but some of the people that do well, the people that know it's OCD and they know it doesn't matter if it was religious or relationship or whatever, because they know it would be, it's still the same thing. Um, the same as you, you hear. And I think I probably even said this years ago of, you know, if I, if I had religious OCD, it wouldn't bother me because yeah. that's not a key concern for me. Or if it was, I'm trying to think of one I haven't had. Um, mm contamination's never been huge for me you know if i had contamination it would never be a big issue for me but that's yeah. not true because right. if you have contamination ocd it's a big issue for you right. it's not you know it's um it's the yeah the, the theme doesn't matter yeah. uh and then what else uh stephen phillipson's always eye-opening and he really really gets it and gets his stuff and he talked about choice on one of my episodes um and he also did like an audiobook version, which I published on the podcast. And that is, I think it's a good episode, even for people who don't have OCD or even mental health problems. I think uh, th- this idea of choice and he goes into the, it's like, I think it was like 40, he wrote it out as well. It's like 40 pages long, all on the importance of making choices and consciously making choices. So something I do in my own life now Um Kind of a, as a side note to OCD, because I think if OCD was full on, this wouldn't be as simple as I'm going to say it. But um, I just make a choice. So if I'm if I'm undecisive and I'm maybe I'm anxious on something, I'm not sure what to do. I just say right, make a choice and then sit with it, live with it. If it's the wrong choice, the wrong choice. At least you made a choice. So I'm I'm putting the the credit and the I don't know celebration on that I made a choice, even if it was the wrong choice. You know, yeah. and the worst thing to do is not make a choice. Um, so that that has been a big shift for me personally, and I've, I've had a few messages from others that have loved that idea of choice, making a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Dr. John Abramowitz is is a good one. Uh, to be fair, it's, well, he he because he merges a lot of acceptance commitment therapy with ERP, exposure response prevention. Um, so that's really fascinating, and he talks about willingness. And this is an act principle of how willing are you right now to do that exposure or to do this treatment? Um, and I think that's an important thing for everyone generally to remember in treatment is just willingness. Because if we're resisting and we're white knuckling it, we're not going to see as much progress as if we're kind of, who was it? it might have been, oh, it was Chris Tronsden who I interviewed 
in the last episode, he talks about going on the offense and not the defense. And I think in therapy, especially with something like ERP or behavior-based therapy, you need to be on the offense and going after OCD as opposed to waiting for it to come to us and then have to deal with it. Yeah, these are all such good points and such amazing people that you've interviewed too. And Reed Wilson, I love him because he's just so blunt and he just says it how it is. And um, I find that really refreshing. And these are all really good things for parents too. I mean, as a side note, I do feel like when you dive into OCD, it's really, it's just improving life, whether you have a mental health struggle or not. Um, Mm. When you work on this stuff, you become better people, but you also become better parents And so all these points that you're making, I feel like have a lot to do with the parent struggle too, because when we get into themes, I just want to go back to that really quick with Reed Wilson. Um, I, I find, and I don't know if you find this as well, and you definitely will when you start working with parents clinically, like ad nauseum, but Mm -hmm. they get stuck in the themes too, just as much as the, the adult who's, you know, struggling with OCD. And they'll say, oh, Natasha, you know, I'm dealing with moral OCD. So does your class have just like a shortcut? Can we just go to the moral OCD part of your class? And I'm like, you're not understanding. Like if you don't understand OCD in general, like the whole beast, it's going to change topics tomorrow. And then you're going to be like, oh shoot. And so I think parents get stuck into that trap easily too, because we just want to simplify things. And so if I can just know the name of it, okay, my child, and you'll see this a lot on Facebook and support groups. My child has moral OCD. My child has contamination OCD. And like, it's like they're speaking different languages and they're not in the same team, you know? And so I always try to say to people, you know, it's a, it's the OCD buffet, you know, you don't know what's on your child's plate. They might eat that and then they get another main dish, but the plate is the plate, you know? So it helps. I think it helps as a therapist for me, this is my own little, you know, whatever. I think it is helpful when I figure out their current subtype, you know? So if I know, okay, this child has scrupulosity issues, then everything, I can help the parents see where the child doesn't have a zillion problems when they're saying, mom, is it okay if um, I take this towel? Mom, is this okay if I eat this cookie? Mom, is it, you know, and she's like, I don't know what is going on with that. And if we can put the umbrella of, you know, she's got some scrupulosity issues right now, that's her current, you know, main dish on her plate. Then the parents like, oh, it's the same thing. And so they can kind of spot it. But then I think they get stuck with these like almost like this identity of like I'm on like I'm on moral OCD team. You know, and it's like, no, because next week it's yeah. something else. And then they get overwhelmed because they're like, like you said, oh my gosh, my child has had like five OCD disorders. And you're like, nope, it's the same one. It's just ugly and it changes its face. So I like that. That was a really mm-hmm. good point. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um yeah, I was I was probably too like black and white. Um, the, yeah, I agree. There's, there's a certain amount that you still need the theme because it does help you identify things quickly and you can quickly find online. Okay. So moral scrupulosity. Oh, that's what some of the compulsions look like. Oh, that seems to be what's going on. And this is the type of, uh, ERP work that would, has been done historically with it. So it is, the theme's good for like finding ideas and stuff. Um, and I will say from a, a sufferer point of view, whether that's the parents, um, or the, the, the teens or the adults. I won't say the kids because they shouldn't obviously be on social media until they're 13. <laughs> I laugh at you. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm like, oh, shouldn't man. be on. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so for example, the term puro, pure obsessional, which is obviously there are compulsions, but they're mental um, or contamination OCD. So th- these kind of buzzwords and the, these 
or even the short and abbreviation of ROCD, it helps people find each other online. And I think people can get a lot, I certainly did historically get a lot of comfort from, oh, this person has the same relationship worries as me. I'm not crazy, quote unquote. Like, so that, that is one big use I have for kind of the themes. It helps people find each other and get that support. But yeah, from a therapy point of view, I think they're useful initially, but they're not to kind of stay too long in that place and try yeah. and get to the, let's find the processes here and work on that. Yeah. And then you brought that, you brought, you started talking about that, about choice. And I actually learned a lot of stuff about act through you, um, listening mm-hmm. to your podcast. Cause it just wasn't an act oriented therapist. I think I actually even heard the term from you. <laughs> That's sad. And I was like, what is, and then I was like, ah, oh, you know, let me change that episode. That's just not speaking to me, you know? And then, you know, oh, he's talking about it again. Oh, he's talking about it again. And then it started to really resonate with me um, as it really started to ooze into the OCD community. I think in the last few years, um, it was real, everyone's really embraced acceptance and commitment therapy. And then I started to realize, oh my gosh, this is so good. It's so important because a lot of times, especially with kids, I'm always seeing things from just a, a child perspective because that's all I work with and my own kids, we're dragging them through ERP and we don't pause to look at, are we empowering them to make a choice? Are we, are we working on motivation? Are we tapping into what, what turns the dial for them? And that's, I think that's just can be huge and can really change the perspective on, on treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think there are definitely some ERP or CBT therapists that will, we'll kind of say we've been doing act-based stuff for decades. You know, we just never called it these terms and, and they're probably true uh, and probably uh, correct. Um, so that I, I, you know, I interview a lot of ERP therapists that, that don't use act, but when they talk, I could easily identify the things they're saying is, well, that's quite an act approach or arguably it's, it was it kind of already existed for them. And then there's a lot of ERP therapists that will have learned act as well. And they merge the two and it's, as someone said in my podcast, it's two, uh, two sides of the same coin. It's, it's the act helps kind of the, the kid or the teenager with the ERP. Um, it does. And I feel like a really good ERP therapist is, is doing the things that are spoke about in act, but it's, there is something to say about having some more intention. And so, you know, for the last two decades, I was doing act oriented stuff just because intuitively it made sense for me to say to the child first, what's your biggest passion just to get to know them. And then to say, and how's OCD ruining that for you? It's just intuitive. But then when you understand act, you put more, I put more focus on it. Like I sit there more. And then I I try to explain to parents too. Like I think a lot of times parents want results very quickly. So there's like a dual pressure as a therapist. Mm -hmm. Cause you're like, you're trying to appease the child and make them feel good. And then you're also trying to help the parents see that you're, you're not torturing their child. Like there is, there's a method to your madness. And a lot of times they don't, they want to push the child a little bit too fast because they're so desperate and overwhelmed and they don't want you to sit there and talk about sports or horses or, you know, <laughs> like, what are you doing? So they have to understand it too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, your podcast does a good job at that. Cause I'll just be like, you know, here's some really good, you know, here, you know, listen to this podcast, the OCD stories, watch Unstuck an OCD kids movie. Like there's some really good, like anchoring. I, tools that I, I like. So I appreciate that I can give them so they can go listen to it. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, I totally get what you're doing, Natasha. I'm like, all right, thank you, Stu. That helps. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> so do you have plans 
do you know where you're headed now that, well, actually I had two questions. Let me back up. Was your intention always to go into um, the mental health world or did that happen naturally and organically? Yeah, I can give you, yeah, go back to when I was sort of 15 was my, I did a mock interview at school where they were preparing us for like interviews we'd have for the next stage of education and like part-time jobs and stuff like that. And I remember the the guy, the businessman that sat me down and did this mock interview and he asked me, what, you know, what do you want to be when you're older? And I remember saying I wanted to be a psychologist. And I don't remember any time before that thinking I wanted to be a psychologist or anything like this. And bear in mind, at the time, the term psychologist meant only therapist uh, for me, whereas now it could be researcher, it could be anything, mm-hmm. not just a therapist, at least in the UK. Yeah. Um, and but I remember saying it so confidently and like it was a given, like that's what I wanted to be. Like there was no, nothing else. Uh, and anyway, I didn't get the grades at, at, at school. Our high school finishes at 16. It's just terminology. And then 17, 18 is our, uh, what we call college or sixth form before you go on to university at 18. So those two years, which I believe is your high school, um, I struggled. I could, well, sorry, I didn't get the grades to do psychology or sociology. And I remember the teacher saying, you know, if, if we put you on these courses, you're going to struggle. So we don't think it's, you know, I now know, let me struggle because when I've struggled in life, it's when I've done my best work. Right. Um, it's when things are easy, I get bored and don't, don't try. Um, and anyway, so I did A-levels, which is that 16, 17 age, uh, struggled again, somehow got in uni, did media studies then marketing, uh, and had a good nine, 10 year career in, in marketing. Um, but the last sort of three years I've been, since the start of the podcast, I've been retraining to be a therapist. So I had to do a, a, a one year master's conversion course into psychology uh, which I did. And now I'm actually on my three year training to be a therapist. Um, well, that's exciting. So it was, it was in the cards the whole time. I believe so. Yeah. But it was, it was my own, it was, it was finally facing my own struggle that I started before I did the OC stories, I started blogging on my own personal site, which isn't active now, but, um, that was kind of really the start of it all of, I, I kind of, it's never too late to go back and start again. And, and that's yeah where I'm at now. Yeah, I think that's exciting. Um, and I, I feel like you've already had your education by the best, but that's okay. okay. We have to go through these formal, you know, because they don't really spend a lot of. In my, this is my humble opinion. They don't spend enough time in graduate school on OCD. You need to take the initiative and really get your own training oh, yeah. um, to to know what you're doing. So, what's your plan? This is where I was going. I wanted to know. Do you have like an idea of what your big vision is? Long term, it will be uh, circle back to uh, OCD and anxiety, specifically with kids and teens. Uh, so I guess similar to what you're doing. Um, at the minute in my training, it's more uh, general and broad. So I'm working with elementary age kids now. Um, and it, it could be anything that kind of the, the symptoms. So it doesn't, it's, I, as far as I'm aware, I haven't come across OCD yet. Well, you would know. I think you would definitely know. <laughs> So do you have an age that you, that you like the most, like an age range that you like working with? Yeah. So the, the two age ranges I've worked with so far is uh, college age kids, which is our 16, 17 year olds. Um, and I'm now working with, uh, five to 11 year olds, well, no, four to 11 year olds. Sorry. Um, 
So I haven't done that sort of 12 to 16 yet or 15. Um, that'll be next year. So at the minute, I, I, I really enjoyed the 16, 17 year olds because they're, they're a very important, in my opinion, an important time in their life if they've got to start making some big decisions education wise or career wise and as all teens they're trying to break away from their parents the parents are still trying to <laughs> pull them back in understandably and um, there's that fight for independence which I find fascinating um, but I, I don't know I do really enjoy the young kids I think there's just something very I use the word innocent but they're I think they're also quite determined to like be engaged in treatment. And I think that's really good. Yeah. It's so funny because it's, they're so different and treatment looks so different depending on what age you're dealing with. And, you know, those three ages, the way they broke them out, like, I feel like that's, those are the good boxes because when you're doing OCD treatment or anxiety treatment with a five-year-old, it's completely different because I love doing cognitive behavioral therapy with a five-year-old because they'll just wrap your brain around. They're just like, People don't think they can do cognitive behavioral therapy with a five-year-old. And it's like, of course you can. You just have to know how to speak to them. Um, they're brilliant people. But it's totally different than the 16-year-old who's been suffering for 10 years. And on some level, that's almost, to me, this is obviously my opinion, it's, it's more instantly rewarding because you give them a name for something they didn't know there was and you normalize things and just the relief on their face. The yeah. five-year-old is rewarding because you're planting seeds. And so you, you know, nobody else knows, but you know that you're preventing all of this long-term struggle for a child. So it's internally privately rewarding, but you're not going to get like a big, thank you so much. I mean, yeah. you know, not a five-year-old, <laughs> 16 year old, you're either going to get like uh, an eye roll and a cancellation, or you're going to get a lot of thank yous. So it just yeah. depends. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. been my experience. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I'm glad you're going to work with kids. It's my bias. <laughs> we need well, more. Yeah, that that's how that's as I say the, the partly why I did that was originally I didn't have a more of an affiliation with kids and teens than I did with adults because for me I was just interested in helping people who are suffering uh, and I probably will eventually do a small amount of work with adults just to get that variety but it's the reason I want to work with kids specifically in teens is I I wanted to kind of be that intervention that I wanted as a seven-year-old or that I needed as a seven-year-old um so there's that, that's what really drives me. And, and now I actually, because I wasn't sure how I would get on with the kids and actually I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I think you either, you either love it or you hate it. I think working with kids, it's really, there's no gray. It's just, it either, you know, resonates with you or it doesn't. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's really rewarding too. You do work with adults, you just don't realize it because you're working with the parents. That's true. And yeah. the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I find that I, a lot of the parents will, really enjoy the therapy because I normally have them in the room together depending on the issue, but the parent is, is improving along with the child. And that's very cool to see because it's almost like, um, by osmosis, they're just sitting there and they're just, Oh, Oh, I could do that. And it, the best is when you work with dads who are like very, very dad-like, you know, and they're like old school dads who are like barely even there. They're like rolling their eyes and their wife has dragged them in and they're the ones genetically with the OCD. And I'll just see these dads who are like, I'll take her to her next appointment. I'll sit in, you know, and then yeah. they'll like, they'll talk to their daughter and, you know, oh, I do this too. And, you know, well, you know, I tapped when I was your age and it's, that's mm -hmm. just the coolest thing when you see that transformation in the dad. So yeah, you never awesome. know who's your identified client. <laughs> so I want to touch on one more thing before we wrap up. Um, you also have a camp. I don't know if that's something you're going to continue. 
It is, yeah. Okay, yeah. then I want to talk about that because, well, there's two things I want to talk about and maybe they're smushed together. Um, one, I have a lot of UK listeners, um, whether it's on my podcast or my YouTube channel or just in my Facebook group, and they really struggle. And it's not not just the UK. I have There's people in small towns in America and um, I have a lot of South Africans. I'm trying to think of the main countries that are a problem. Canada, South Africa, Australia, and the UK. Like those are the four. Maybe that's just because they're not blocked on my um, IP address. <laughs> you know? So I'm like they're coming through, but they're having a hard time accessing help. In the UK, if you had a parent who was struggling, because I have quite a few of them in my community, what would you advise them to do? Because they get stuck, they get, they get turned away, they get no help. Yeah. So this is the, the, the kid has, for example, the OCD, but the parents trying to get the help. Yeah. So we do have private therapy in the UK. So if, if that's an option, then, um, my best advice to that is, is contact. We have two OCD charities. One is uh, OCD action and the other one is OCD UK. Um, I'm sure OCD UK know this as well, but I know that I'm pretty sure OCD action have a list of kind of recommended private therapists for OCD. Um, so there's, there's that kind of call them up. They have a, uh, a call line, a support line, and they can talk you through it. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. On that same, both the charities have call lines actually, which is really good, which is a good place just to get general support as well. Yeah. Um, but on that same call, they can talk you through the process of, um, getting the right help with the NHS. So I reading between the lines, the people that are emailing you, I'm just, I'm assuming that they've gone to the NHS either through the GP or, um, we have a, a, a system called IAPT, um, which is improving access to psychological therapies where you can self refer. Now I'm not sure how it works with children, but I'm sure the parents can, can do it. But if not through the GP, but the reason I'm saying I reckon they've already done it is because that's our kind of national health care and it's free to get that treatment. But depending on where you are in the country, you know, if you're in the real Southwest, the real tip where you're, you're quite far, I don't want to say from civilization, but from a big town, the chances of having a, an OCD therapist there, a CBT therapist it is less likely than in London where you've got 8 million people and there's going to be a lot of, uh, OCD or CBT therapists. Um, so in which case I'd say speak to one of the charities and they can tell you about your rights because there's, there's various ways of like, if, even if there's not in your area, how you can get funding on the NHS to get. So some, I know some people have got the NHS to pay for private therapists. Uh, and there's stuff, so there's lots of ways, but the best thing is just use the resources of the OCD charities because they fight for people's rights all the time. And sometimes they can write letters for you on your behalf to give, to your GP or your doctor or whoever's uh, deciding who gets treatment and who doesn't. Um, and they can go through all of that. So that's probably the simplest way. Okay. That's really good to know. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your camp because this is exciting. I know there's one um, that happens in the States um, that I think that's not for kids. I don't think that one's for kids. Uh, with the one in the States uh, in Seattle, that is uh, – odd and even years, I can't remember which is which, but let's say even years is, uh, so like 2020 is adults and 2019 is, I think it's teens, not children. Okay. Okay. I think that's probably more for health and safety reasons. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you have one in the UK. So let's talk about your camp. 
I do. So just to give credit to the person I was just talking about, Pete Weiss in Seattle, he's a therapist, OCD therapist, him and Travis is the other therapist that runs it with him. But Pete uh, came over to the UK and he, he showed me the ropes. He ran the first camp with me, taught me everything he knew. So I'm incredibly grateful to him. Um, but yeah, so uh, the idea is it's, it's three days and it's just adults at the minute. Eventually, I think when I'm qualified, I will then do teens and probably children. And I want to do uh, the, with the children. I want to do it with the parents. Okay. A, it's kind of extra help for me because they can help, you know, totally. work with, with the, their child. But also, it's that as you're saying, it's the bonding. I want the the, the daughter and the dad, or the son and the mum, to bond um, over that weekend. Um, so yeah, so but a minute, it's just for adults because it's easier. Um, and I, I enjoy it, but it's, it's three days and it's not really a therapy camp in the sense of we're not trying to do exposures or anything like that. It's more, um, eight people. So eight people with OCD getting to meet, getting to talk, sharing their story. Um, there's lots of like skills-based activities. So being quite mindful, whether that's matchless firelighting or making like survival-based rope things. Uh, we all cook together. We cook on the open fire. Then both nights we're sitting around the campfire, either telling their kind of OCD story or we do other exercises short, all based around sort of compassion and building up some self-esteem. Uh, and, and yeah, and by the end of it, you know, where these people were quite shy initially, you, you can't stop them talking on that final day. So it's, uh, and for some people, it's the first time they've, they've ever met anyone with OCD, which, yeah. and now they've met eight people and for 48 hours done nothing but talk about OCD. So it's, 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 I said to someone the other day, it's, it's the most rewarding thing I think I've ever done in my life. And I it's, bet. I've only done it. Yeah. It's, I've only done it twice now. So the third year is next year. Uh, uh, I'd love to do it more, but it's, there's a lot of planning involved and, time oh i bet it sounds like it would be a lot to orchestrate and it, it is like completely therapeutic so even if you're not working on doing exposures just that community yeah. um building that empowerment and feeling like you're not alone like that's just that's the foundation of everything so that's yeah. neat yeah absolutely yeah, um, I, there, with kids. I, yeah I, I i definitely want to um there's uh another isn't there's a camp I, I saw a podcast on it i don't know if you listened to it um i think it's called fear chasers or something like that i'll, I'll send you a link afterwards and maybe you can put it in the, the show notes of this episode but i think that's like a two-week summer camp in the states and it's run Somebody by that to me too yeah so i think it's run by a university in the states or, or an ocd clinic but yeah, it's, it's, and it, it seems quite good and it's, it's aimed at young kids and there's loads of activities and, um, but I'll dig out the link and I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. If you can, I'll include that. I feel like somebody shared that with me and I was just like, what is that? And I, I was so busy and I like just looked at it for a second. Cause I get a lot of people sending me stuff yeah. and a lot of it isn't really, you know, good quality. And I was like, fear chasers, what is that? That's so cool. And then, you know, someone called and I lost it and I never went back, but I think it was probably what you're talking about, which it would be nice to to look mm. back because I think these in, these intense uplifting programs would be really helpful for kids. And it's a nice middle option from like, we really don't have a lot of choices. It's like, and we want our kids to not feel like they're alone. I, I mean, I'd love to send my, to my child to that. I mean, I brought them to the OCD conference for the first time last summer because they just were not well enough and they were young enough. And 
they just lit up. They couldn't stop talking about it for like two weeks afterwards. And my son, who's normally pretty quiet and embarrassed about his OCD, he was just educating everybody. And he was talking about, and he even wore his shirt. Like I bought him a couple of shirts from, um, trying to think he wore the OCD, like a unstuck shirt to school. And I, you know, I was like, if you wear this, you know, people are going to ask you what it is. Are you okay? And he's like, Oh mom, I'm okay telling them. Like it just, he was such a different kid. So I think there is power in getting our kids to realize they're not alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you one last question. (laughs) So you ask everybody at the end of your shows, if there was a billboard (laughs) and they could put anything on it, what would they say? And I always am like, what would he say? What would his answer be? So in um, the spirit of me turning the mic on you for this entire episode, I thought we could end with that. Oh man. Um, you never thought about is, your answer? No, do you know, I think I've given an answer before, but for me it changes all the time. Yeah. Um, the first thing that came to me was do something that matters. Um, I like that. And I'll unpack that cause it can almost sound quite arrogant. I think, um, do something that matters to you is probably is the longer version of it. You know, find something that I don't want to say that makes your heart sing on a say something cliche like that, but, um, yeah, it doesn't just have to be a career or a job. Just try and find at some point in your week doing something that really lifts you up and matters to you, whether that's going for a walk in, in the woods, uh, spending some time with a friend, even if it's on the phone that that you really just, feel alive after speaking to them or it could be something like volunteering or it could be changing your career path or whatever it is just find something each week that really matters to you and and do it i think that's good advice because you know surprisingly a lot of people aren't doing that so that would be that would be good well everybody can find you at um the ocd stories um on i guess itunes or apple or stitcher and it's the OCD story. Is it the OCD stories.com? Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The OCD stories.com um, or just the OCD stories in Google and hopefully everything should come up. It does. It does. And yeah. I will leave links just in case someone's lazy and they want to just click it. So thank you so much for coming on. It was so nice talking to you. No, you too. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, I hope that you found that episode enjoyable. It's interesting to hear him talk about his experience interviewing all these people and the amazing work that he's doing himself. So don't forget to check out the OCD stories uh, or his website, the OCDstories.com. I will leave links to the camps that we were referring to and um, the things that he was talking about so that you can check those out. And as a reminder, don't forget if you are in the Phoenix area or the Arizona area or the areas around Arizona and you want to come to our interactive workshop, we have two of them and you can get on the wait list to hear about it. If you text 44222 and text AT Workshop, or you could just go to bitly.com, that's B I T L Y.com slash Phoenix Workshop 2020. So I hope that you're enjoying my podcast. I hope you're getting some ahas from these episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, you feel like it adds something to your life and the journey that you are on raising kids with anxiety and OCD. I always appreciate it when people hit a star on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're consuming your podcast to show your respect and support for the show. It actually impacts the show a lot because the more people who support the show and tell other parents, even by clicking a star, this show is valuable, it gets the show noticed more and more parents 
check it out. And then more parents get help. So it is a small little thing that you can do um, as a thank you for the show, but also as paying it forward to help other parents who are in the throes of the sea of resources and don't know where to turn to get some really good help. If you have a few extra seconds and you're in the holiday spirits, feel free and and I appreciate when people take the time to actually write a review. Those reviews are really helpful. They not only inspire me, which they really do, but they help other parents realize what they would be getting from committing to listening to a podcast. So please do that. I really appreciate it. I'll thank you in advance. And don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. They come out every Tuesday. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.